Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two of the defense here, talking about the Ravens' win over the Bengals uh, on Sunday in Cincinnati. Great win for the for the Ravens. And uh, here talking about me, about the defense with me is Denard Melton of the Fire Zone Show. Denard, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Always good to talk football on a, on a, on a good team win. Yeah. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you in the first episode, all the football knowledge you bring as a player and, and um, a lot of the specific defensive uh, angles you'd are perfect for this show. Uh, I'm sure that would go well for the offense as well, because you could talk about how that would relate to, to playing defense. But a lot of the things about uh, tackling, there were some elements about matchup zone and how that's defined and how the, the uh, uh, responsibilities are, are apportioned out. Uh, some good stuff in that first episode. Please give that a download if you haven't already. And uh, and we're going to talk about some individual players in this second part of the show. Absolutely. All right. So you're you're the guest in art. I always say you go ahead. You lead us off here with your, uh, your the player you really want to talk about. So for me, I, I will start. I will start in the back end. I don't. I'm Gino Stone has impressed me greatly on what he has accomplished in these first two games. I think he's, he is, he's trusting his eyes again. He's playing well. He's playing downhill. He's playing physical. I think there was a comment made in the first game where he wasn't talking as much as Marcus Williams. Hmm. I think in the second game, you can tell he was more involved in the game plan. He understood the checks. It was, you can tell they were all on the same page and very vocal throughout the whole thing. So I was very impressed with what he was doing in that game on Sunday. Yeah. Impressed about so many things about his, his play on the field. And and I thought, you know, we mentioned this in the first show, but it's always bears a little bit overlap is fine. He's drafted coming out of Iowa for those instincts. He's not, he's not as he's faster plays faster than his 40 time. I should say, because mm-hmm. his instincts are so good. That's often the case for back end safeties. And we better hope it's true of Kyle Hamilton as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of a guy who can who can get to the spot because he reads it much better, uh, he, his eyes did not deceive him against Joe Burrow on the interception, which was really nice. He got mm-hmm. to the right spot on the field. It wasn't, uh, you know, the 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 Bengals were essentially running a lot of that concept to try and deceive Geno Stone into making the wrong read, and he and he didn't do it because he wasn't following the play. In some ways, I, I look at that and it's like it's a one thing they say about about good poker players is they're generally wasting their fancy plays on weak poker players because weak poker players can't even understand what they're trying to make them believe. Right. And so this this play was so complex that it it really it, it was dependent on Geno Stone biting on Chase on yes. that inside on that inside leverage, 
And first of all, G Gino Stone misread it because he was looking directly at Burrow the whole time, well, which is... <laughs> which is... I mean, he understood what the play was. So he probably even looked... He probably even said something to uh, Stevens before the play. It was like, you're locked. I'm not even going to look over there. Like, my eyes are on Joe. That's it. You're over there by yourself. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Reed well, was very famous for that nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he would he would do whatever he wanted on the field. But the the that's the other thing I love about about um, Stone is his read esque qualities. Now, I, I I don't use those terms lightly, but what I like in a safety, uh, particularly free safety characteristics, are the willingness to play a loose bracket to constantly be looking for the overthrow undercut when necessary, read the quarterback, try and figure him out. And basically, a lot of times, just try and do the thing you think is going to fool the quarterback. Um, and I don't know that he really did that in the interception, but I'd say Geno Stone is the ultimate loose bracket safety. He plays for the overthrow. We've seen that in the preseason. We've seen it other times in his in his career, uh, that he tends to be in the right place over top of the receiver in case something goes wrong with that throw at, or, or on a contested catch with the with the underneath player. Absolutely. I, I think it's, I think most safeties, I think a lot of college safeties have been taught the opposite. Mm -hmm. Go to the body. Why, yeah. And I think that's why the game has suffered a lot and trying to find safeties to come into the league has been a lot tougher. And I think that's kind of trickled down to linebacker play a lot lately. They kind of go hand in hand. They lose their instincts. They 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 think they have to be in the spot right now. But if you're talented enough, you bait people. You you set things up. You may be late on something. If it's not like a you know a huge gain, it's okay to be late. Because guess what? The next time that quarterback's gonna be thinking about it, and what he's gonna do, he's gonna rush it, and what's gonna happen? He's gonna air mail it just about <laughs> be perfect. Just perfect, and you played it exactly where you want to be, and that's why a lot of guys, a lot of safeties don't get interceptions on over-the-top plays. Mm -hmm. They don't get safe. They get plays when they're coming downhill when their eyes tell them, I win. Mm -hmm. And when your eyes say you go win, go get the football. It's mine. I'm taking it home with me. <laughs> And that was this was one of those on a nice undercut from Stone that, that really worked out that way. Stone plays for the overthrow. He can also play for the garbage when when the ball's up in the air for whatever reason. He's a great second man of the ball player. Mm -hmm. And the Ravens are just lucky as hell. They have a replacement. It's not luck. I mean, it really isn't. It's it's the skill of drafting a player like Geno Stone in the seventh round, letting him get away and then getting him back. Yeah. That really worked out for them. Absolutely. He's he's been He's been the rock when they've needed him the last couple of years. And credit to him for trusting the process and being a part of the solution and not the problem. Great to have him leading the special teams. I'm, I'm hopeful that he can be a long-term Raven where he's kind of the ideal a combination of a great special teams player and leader who also can contribute something defensively. In his case, it's kind of a lot defensively, which is mm -hmm. unfortunately, if he plays a lot of the season in place of Marcus, I'm afraid he's going to get a pretty, he's going to get, you know, three years, nine million somewhere to play free safety. And 
he's not going to be a Raven anymore. But if he if he if he only plays, you know, four games this year or something, and the Ravens obviously aren't, you know, don't have well, the Ravens are going to have Peters and Hamilton. There's reasons. I sorry, uh, Hamilton and Williams. So there's going to be reasons why they they won't have him on the field. But other teams may look at that and say, um, you know, I'm just not sure if he's the right guy for us or if we want to pay a lot of money for him because they won't maybe have seen enough. But I would love if he could be one of these perpetual Ravens on two year rolling two year deals, like a new two year deal with a bonus every two years mm-hmm. to keep him as a special teams captain for, say, another four. Yeah, I, I feel like he he's kind of important on the on the punt protection. I think mm-hmm. he's. He's taken over to Adam the, the Levine role mm-hmm. and and really settled into his role on this football team, which is it's very important. And we 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 say that the day after they give up a, a long special teams punt return, but uh it's not not usual for this team. And I think I, that was more Simpson than anybody else as I yeah. watched the play. So uh you know, it was a Simpson and the and the block in the back that yeah. They picked up the flag. That's ridiculous. Yeah, How many times that. in your life have you seen him pick up a block in the back, a block in the back Zero. Of the flag? Yeah. Zero. Because you saw it in real time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, they, I mean, they don't ever do that. If they do it with a pass interference call, they've got another good reason for it. Like the ball was overthrown and untouchable or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with a block in the back flag. No. It's, it's no gray area. He pushed him. Yeah. He pushed him twice. <laughs> now somebody also made the point online i you know we, we're talking about geno stone but the, the cutback on the inside on the interception uh he left a lot of yards on the table by the way got directed out of bounds by a jabos flattening of burrow on the sideline and he, he could have got about another 30 probably that's a lot yeah. of yards, <laughs> yards. Yeah. i mean they did go down and score a touchdown so it was kind of like yeah. eh. I can't judge it just by the results. I I I I, th- I see it as really bad. Haloti Nada in his first NFL game had the the interception on the pop up ball. He catches it in level two, runs it around the end for sixty yards. Great introduction to Haloti Nada in his very first NFL game, and he got down to the nine yard line. He's clearly out of gas at this point. But there was also a similar block in front of him to knock somebody out of bounds, and he just allowed himself to get directed out of bounds at that point. <laughs> And you know, after the game, Billick appropriately let him have it about it. He goes, no, he's got to he's got to find a way to get in the end zone there. And the Ravens, you know, with their 2006 style offense, even with McNair at quarterback, who was you know an upgrade, uh, managed to get three points <laughs> from yeah. the nine yard line. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Big man got tired. Big man and big man's left leg didn't want to plant and come back inside. <laughs> There you go. That, that was that was pretty. It was that left sideline. Uh, nice three, nice, really nice downhill plays by Stone. Might have gotten overlooked in this game, but three defensive wins out of out of. He led the team with nine tackles, three of them defensive wins. And I'll say for a free safety, very unusual that you get three opportunities to make tackles on defensive wins. Normally, your tackles are coming multiple yards off the line of scrimmage, where you're going to allow that tackle still allowing the. Uh, offense to either convert a first down directly or stay on schedule uh, as the you know defensive win is not allowing them. To yeah, play. absolutely. Yeah, he he played very well downhill. He had really two huge plays mm-hmm. and could have been a third if I wish his football sense would have kicked in once Burrow recalled 
the uh, tight end motion. Yeah, Irv Smith, right? Yeah. yeah. When he recalled him and told him to come back, the Too alarm tough. bells should have been going off, like, speed out. Like, it, it, yeah. there should the bells should have been going off. But other than that, he played very well. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And and Burrow threw that ball crappily enough. Yeah, he he underthrew that. that ball. So it was it was an opportunity for Smith to, to at least make the tackle for for no gain. Yeah, uh, which would have been uh, would have been all they needed in that in that situation. But that it was an unfortunate play. I just I was so happy with his overall play in this game. I've got mm -hmm. I've got no complaints about yeah, what happened. Clearly, the Ravens. Um, I would say their second best defender. So why don't I jump on and talk about who I think was the first the top defender for the Ravens, and that's Jadavian Clowney. Uh, he uh, the Ravens didn't get a ton of pressure all day, but when the uh, Bengals tried to set up some longer routes in the second half when they were trying to do anything but throwing the ball quickly to the outside, which the Ravens found, a, you know, were fairly effective um, defending that. Uh, Jadavian Clowney was the guy who, who more often than not initiated the pressure. So I have him, uh, as, as we talked about in the first uh, episode, with five full pressures of his own, uh, one quarterback hit slash PD. So he hit the arm of Burrow. Ball went floating up into the right side. Stone was the only guy within five yards of that ball yeah. when it dropped. And uh, that was a thing of beauty. If, boy, had Stone had picked that off, that would have been something special. But uh, but then he also had the sack. And uh, and that was a great – missed the initial swipe, came back when Pierce beat his double team to phone booth that pocket and uh, and closed the deal. Just been so impressed with what Clowney has done in two games so far. Yeah, I've been very impressed with how he's brought the physicality that this team is it's has missed defensively. Um would have missed without, you know, Clayus Campbell and a McPhee type. He brings that type of physicality that is necessary in a football game. And he's he's blown away my expectations so far, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things, a lot of his success in this game was against the left tackle. I mean, some, some on both sides, but he did have a lot of success against the left tackle was our old friend, Orlando Brown, uh, saying that we didn't really talk about him much in the game, but, uh, Orlando Brown, I didn't think he played particularly well. And PFF obviously thought he was a lot better than I did because I charged him with a bunch of these bull pressures that he had against Brown, basically to compromise the cone. Um, on these plays, we talked a little bit about this, but uh, but Burrow's got to be able to step into his throw with confidence to get anything on it. And but we, we you know, we've already kind of hypothesized in this first episode that Burrow's leg injury may be keeping, maybe holding his velocity down even more mm -hmm. than his really mediocre arm strength to start with. Yeah, I, I think the injury is definitely affecting him. Um, kind of questions. I, I guess I get why he tried to play through it because the opening their season was two divisional games and you didn't want to get behind the eight ball. Now you're behind the eight ball and your quarterback possibly is going to be out mm -hmm. three to six weeks to let that reheal. Did, did we hear something today? Cause I, I, well, I've seen, I've seen a couple things. I don't think it's been conclusive, but there's, there's been a re-injury and I think they're saying multiple weeks. It's a possibility. Depends wow. on how he, responds to treatment this week well you know this is kicking when they're down time here we need to see the Bengals go about one and seven to start the season if there's if there's a chance of that happening yeah. uh, I think it would be a good thing 
uh, it would, you know, potentially the, 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 the Bengals get a better draft pick out of this. And that is something to be concerned about legitimately within the division, but the payoff is too great in terms of, yeah. you know, potentially getting them off the table in a, in a very balanced division, very scary and balanced division. Yes. I'm a little, little, I, I'm curious to dig in more into the Browns because their, their defense is, is interesting to say the least. I'm 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 interested to watch it. I'm not I'm not bought and sold yet. Yeah. No, no. I it is Cleveland. And their secondary always seems to disappear. Now we're recording this at eleven thirty five PM, but I've recorded two games here for watching after this that so nobody's supposed to tell me anything about what's what's happening. And one is the Oriole game and one's the Monday night football game. So right. I just want to make sure <laughs> I don't know the score either, so don't worry about it. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh Anything else to say about Jadavian Clowney? I guess it's your turn. Go to give us another player you want to talk about. I would like to talk about Patrick Queen. Mm-hmm. He had an outstanding game. I think he played well against the run. I, I would have liked him to be a little bit better in terms of coverage in the middle of the field, but his tackling is, is 200% better than it was last year. Mm-hmm. His idea of football is 200% better than it was last year. He's fewer of those weird mistakes are showing up. It's few and far between now. He'll have a glitch every once in a while, but that happens to all of us. And he has taken on this mentality of, I am better than any other running back on the field. And no, I can cover anything. And it's it's refreshing, it's enlightening, and it's it's good to see a guy who I felt all along was going to be very good once he got the experience. And now it's all coming together. And like you said earlier in, in the other episode, is where he's he's not going to be a Raven next year. Because right. there's no way in hell you're going to pay two linebackers over $18 million. This is not going to happen. You know, that's okay. It really is. I mean, really uh, wish, wish Patrick Queen the absolute best. And obviously it plays in the Ravens' favor if he gets paid Roquan money next year mm-hmm. or, or anything close to it for that matter in terms of what kind of a compensatory pick they'll get. But uh, the Ravens are going to lose a lot of UFA talent whether or not they have big years this year. That is and true. they may as well have big years and get a little bit more – uh, talent coming back in the future to the Ravens because of this, you know, it's, it's also, we have this discussion every once in a while on the show, but great drafting teams and teams that are, have a continual pace of outstanding young talent. And the Ravens consistently show up on the lists of having the most players in the NFL who start within their system. They're always near the top of that list. Um, teams like that have to make heartbreaking cap decisions year after year after year to let quality players go. Yeah. And it's, it's a balancing. And now that we're in a new era here in Baltimore, where we we're a little more offensive friendly because we, we, we've paid our quarterback handsomely. We've given him some targets. Money going to have to be redirected. And, you know, unfortunately that's going to take some pieces away from the defense, but you got to draft keep drafting well you got to keep developing you got to keep coaching mm-hmm. 
And I hope they keep coaching. I think that's the most important thing. Keep coaching. We, we haven't really talked about this, but the value of position coaches right now is at such a premium. I, I was very enthused that they brought in Chuck Smith to, to, to mentor the pass rushers and really makes sense with a couple of guys like Owe and Ajabo, who are both still very raw. Ajabo mm-hmm. came out of school with a little bit of a toolkit, but he's mostly an athletic toolkit more than mm-hmm. a, he's got everything filled, figured out. Owe still a whole bunch of raw athleticism there, even in year three. And he's unfortunately he's been asked to do a bunch of different things and it's still going on now um, where I wish they would get him over that left tackle every single down, like they did with Terrell Suggs and let him figure out the pass rush component first. Yeah. I I blame that on Bowser. Mm -hmm. And I mean, no no, no harm or foul to Bowser. I think he's a good player, but without him, Always the tool belt is the tool belt. He's the the Swiss Army knife. He's got to do everything that Bowser would be doing. So it's no fault of his. He's gonna eventually get his time to shine out there on the end. And, and him and Clowney are gonna have love and affection this year at getting to the quarterback. We're just not gonna see it until Bowser's back. Now, here's one of the interesting uh, stats from yesterday. Clowney rushed the quarterback 32 times, but he also dropped the cover five times. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, five out of 37 is 13.5%. Clowney's career drop rate coming into this year was 3%. Now, Mm. I'm I'm not saying one game, one very small sample is is means all the difference, but I think that the the fact that the um, that Clowney has dropped so far is a pretty strong indi- so often is a pretty strong indication that McDonald really believes he needs the flexibility of the pass rush to bring people from other places to try and get a quick pressure, and he's willing to pay the price of giving up not only a good pass rusher but also something in coverage by having Clowney back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great that Clowney is a accommodative of this system. He's obviously getting plenty of pressure opportunities himself, but, but uh, you know, Bowser on a per snap basis coming into this year had 10 times more often dropped the coverage. And when you get Bowser dropping the coverage, you're getting a high end coverage guy. Oh oh my goodness. He is, he is a dream in coverage. Mm -hmm. And I was mad a couple years ago when we finally figured out he can cover tight ends and then we stopped <laughs> for weeks. We didn't let him cover a tight end. I was <laughs> unbelievable. But yes, he's great, great in coverage. Fantastic. By the way, people, a lot of people don't know this, I don't think, but but Bowser's had a really good sack rate career because he, he, he has a much lower denominator of total times rushing the passer. So his sack rate career is 1.7% which is, it's, is good. It's not unbelievably good. There's, there's a number of players out there in the national football league who have that kind of a great, and the guys who typically would have eight or nine sacks in, in a typical year, if they're, if they're doing that, Jadavian Clowney, only 1.3% career in terms of his sack rate uh, as a percentage of pass rushes. So uh, really tells you something about just how valuable an all around player um, Bowser has been for this football team. Yeah, totally. I, and if he comes back healthy, it's just another gear yeah. up front. Another really beast. excited about that. Yeah, very excited. 
All right. So let's see. Who did you you were talking about Queen? Did I have anything yeah. else I want to say about Queen? Yeah, good game for Queen in terms of I, you know, here's the thing I liked, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this as an ex-linebacker, is I thought his recognition on the um on the on the swing passes in front of him, pretty much in terms of everything in front of him in terms of pass coverage is very good. Even you could even look at Geno Stone and we, you know, you talked about his inability to uh, be quick enough with the motion of Irv Smith on the one first down that, that he allowed effectively. But I thought Gene, uh, Queen extremely quick getting on that running back. And I thought it must have been a point of emphasis in terms of what they were coaching this week. Yeah, they they understood that we've talked about it so many times that Joe like Burrow just likes to dump it in the flat. And if you're not attacking that, that's an easy eight yards. And that gets the offense on schedule. It gets them on rhythm. The Ravens made the, the the not the sacrifice, but basically saying we're not going to hold our zone. That back flares, go get him. Mm-hmm. Close the gap right now because you know the ball's going to him. Let's limit the damage to two to three yards, and they did a fantastic job of that. Mm-hmm. All day, Lo- lots of plays for you know two three yards and under. They had some zeros. They had a couple negatives, I think, even on the on the uh, on pass plays to the outside. So uh, that was beautiful. Uh, so you, you had Patrick Queen. How about I, I go next year if we're ready to move on? Yep. Okay. How about Michael Pierce and the game he had? Uh, I thought he was dominant in the middle of the field. In fact, one of the things that kept showing up in our notes was how effective he was at dealing with double teams, run and pass. So I'll pick one in particular that I really loved. So he stood up to a double team on, on one play that was just an RM2 uh, that Queen ended up making the tackle. And a lot of interior run defense is very unglamorous because you're denying space and somebody else is making the play. Uh, and and it's just the nature of the job, frankly. That's mm-hmm. also the case with pocket compression. And let's see, the big play he had was on the S-6. He was double teamed by the right guard Kappa and the center Karras. Again, it's it's a little bit of an Abbott and Costello return between this year. They're not the two top guys uh, in any gap around the NFL, but they're still two NFL players. And he created a phone booth on the pocket such that when Clowney made his first swipe by with his right hand, forced mm-hmm. Burrow up a little bit in the pocket, he was right on top of the backs of his two offensive linemen, had to reset his feet, and by that time Clowney had recovered and made the sack. Absolutely. Um, Michael Pierce has came out this year, and 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 you can tell he's been on a mission to rectify the last couple of years. Him coming in the camp last year, a little bit overweight, mm-hmm. caused his injury. He knows this organization. He didn't want to leave a bad taste. He came back this year. You can see the Michael Pierce from a few years ago before he went to Minnesota. That was at best un- unblockable in a double team. Mm-hmm. And the way this team, if him and Travis Jones can continue to do what they do on first and second down run, I don't have to bring a seventh or an eighth guy in the box. I'm not even thinking about an eighth guy right now. I can control the run game right. with six. And, you know, the great Ravens teams. They've always done exactly that. They can yeah. stop the run with six because they had great players at each of those three important position groups. They had great players at defensive tackle, you know, Haloti Nada, Tony Siragusa, Adams, 
mm-hmm. all the guys they've had great defensive tackles. It's a, it's a litany. Kelly Gregg, yep. they, they had great defensive uh, edge players in Suggs and uh, Jarrett Johnson in particular, fantastic run defenders. And then they had Ray Lewis yep. and they had Bart Scott and they've had other inside linebackers who knew how to tackle uh, even mm-hmm. when they didn't have those two guys. And uh, it's, it's been a, uh, one of the hallmarks of the team that kept all those yards per carry very low for them all the years was they could always stop the run in 11, 11 personnel with six guys. Yeah. And, and knowing you're going to get duo blocks up front and, and knowing that the linebacker behind you is, is they're coming mm-hmm. forward and not catching, which is the most important thing. And it helps to detackle make plays because the linebacker engages after the duo block, the duo blocks, he comes up and engages, you know, if he's coming to the A gap, he's engaged mm-hmm. in the center. Now that D tackle has a little more leverage to slip his B gap to make the play. Yeah. If, if so uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit, cause that's some great inside football there, but it's, it's not dissimilar to a, a, an under guy on a stunt who comes between two Mm-hmm. They each get kind of a 45 degree angle if it's yep. done properly, you know, and then when one has to peel off and that's the linebacker you're talking about coming into that other gap, then that other player is very much advantaged in his yes. 45 degree angle block against that first player. And that's why D tackles love playing in systems like this is yes, I have to do some dirty work initially, but if I got stud linebackers behind me, I'm going to make plays and I'm going to make big plays because it's going to be one yard losses. Or that's where the the strip fumbles come from because maybe the running back doesn't notice that you've now shot your B gap because he's got eyes on the middle linebacker and that's who he's got in the, in the, in the dual concept, he's cutting off the middle linebacker. So maybe he loses you in in the window. Boom. You get free because linebacker shot the gap. It's, Run defense early in the season, if you are humming out of camp and your run defense is stout, it's hard to lose your run defense during the year. It's very hard. It's sometimes extremely hard to find it. <laughs> but it's not hard to it's it's very hard to lose it if you if you continue to do what you're supposed to do up front and with your linebackers. One more point I want to make about Pierce before we move on is uh, he did have a bull pressure against Orlando Brown directly in, late in the game, Q4-407. So it's pretty much right up against when they were they were scoring their last touchdown. Um, but it, on that play, there's an overthrow in the back of the end zone of, of Smith, who was, had pretty good coverage from Stevens on that play. I, I can kind of picture the play in my mind, but, I, but I'm having a hard time probably describing it. I watched the two of them go at it. And I remember when Orlando Brown first um, came into the National Football League, let's say his weight was distributed a little bit differently. He was also uh, heavier at the time. Now he weighs, he, he, he uh, measures about 345, weighs in. Apparently they're not, they're not trying to hide it with Pierce now, or maybe they still are and he's bigger than that, but they have him listed at 355 now. I know he was uh, Cleveland was listed at 370 last year, so maybe they're a little bit less concerned about reporting a player's weight more accurately. Um, I've, I felt like they're kind of penalizing Cleveland for it last year was part of what they what they had done was to kind of teach him a lesson. Look, we're gonna we're gonna put your real weight out there, and other teams are gonna know what a fat ass you were when you came into you know, camp. You know, right. but but uh, Pierce, his he 
he's a monster. He moves people as that great leverage, the low pad level and whatnot you want from a six foot tall man, which is, which is, you know, oftentimes a great height for a defensive tackle. Yeah. But, uh, Seeing him run into Orlando Brown and knowing those guys are only ten pounds different in weight, Orlando Brown looks like a like a real thin left tackle now, relative mm-hmm. to uh, to Pierce. Well, you, you gotta you gotta get ready for your rap career, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that I didn't realize he was he was on that he was in the McKinney group, is he? Yeah, he's he's yes, he's that's why he's no longer a Raven. <laughs> Let's <Okay>. be real. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, anything else about Pierce? You want to pick another player? Um, I'll pick one more. I, I I don't I don't think a lot of people have talked about it, but Kyle Hamilton has played very steady the first two weeks, in particular in this game against against Cincinnati. He was asked to be the safety valve and allow. Gino to use his instincts and be more of a downhill guy takes away from what Kyle Hamilton does best, which is coming downhill. But it also tells you more about the player who's understanding. This is what I need to do to make this team successful. I'm willing to do that. And I think we need to give him his flowers and saying without him on the back end, Gino stone would not be able to do what he was able to do the corners could not play the way they could play without having that gentleman roam in the back end and not being tested all day. He had one mistake. I don't know if it was his fault or Roquan's on the dig late in the fourth or late in the third on the Bengal drive where it was an important third down and they faked the blitz and they pulled out and all three players Roquan, Kyle Hamilton, and there was another Raven, might have been Queen. They were all in the same place, and the wide receiver did an end route behind them. And it was just like, it was just kind of gobbled. It was like too many people in the wrong spot. But other than that, it was just, it was steady play, and, and Hamilton has been very good over the first two games of the season. Yeah, I, I've been thrilled. I think his move to the back end has really worked out. I'm not saying he can't be more impactful on the front end, but in this game, you you hit on it directly when you said the whole rest of the defense, he made the whole rest of the defense better with his presence on the back end. So he's he's playing back end cover two. Kyle Hamilton is normally the guy you move wherever you want him to get the matchup nightmare you want. If you want to move him up to rush the passer, you do that. If you want to move him into the box to play a short zone uh whatever you might want from him. He's a looming presence there and has value. If you want him to, you know, cover a tight end, they did that once in this game, they, they put him up in a big nickel formation to, to, to line him up against a tight end. Uh, you could do that. But for the most part in this game, he just played the back end of cover two. It's a very quiet responsibility. And yet he still made found time, make one of the biggest plays of the game, which was when he made that open field tackle on Irv Smith. So the Ravens rushed seven on that play. So they only got four yes. guys in coverage. Yes. Yeah. And he's out in the open field, takes Irv Smith down by the ankles for a gain of six when it's third and 11, and they have to punt the ball with only 10 and a half minutes to go. Uh, that was one hell of an important play in this football game. And It was, uh, it was the biggest play of the game. He misses that tackle. He scores. Pretty good chance he he, he goes. I mean, he had the one corner who was there, but he, the receiver was there. So it had been a, a dogfight yeah. to get to the end zone. 
Yeah, it would it, it it definitely would have set them up with a at least a very much shorter field for a touchdown on a drive where they didn't get one, which yep. would have totally changed the nature of the game. The Ravens would have had to be gearing up on offense to try and score, mm-hmm. and that would have been uh, you know a lot more difficult. But uh, but yeah, uh, big play. Uh, maybe I'll pick just one more too then, and we'll uh, we'll we'll have a little few minutes left for questions here at the end. If you want to think about your three, two, one MVPs, Denard, I know I didn't mention that to you earlier, but if you if you want to, I, I'm going to go through that and go exactly. play along. That's great. Uh, who else did I want to talk about? Travis Jones, I'll, I'll talk about briefly. Um, you mentioned earlier that Travis had looked really good against the run. I thought in this game, and unfortunately, he's going to be remembered for the one play where. He got dragged, I'm using air quotes, on that one-yard run. It was really a one-yard run stop by him where the entire offensive line got behind them. And the Ravens really did a lousy job on that play of rallying to the football, and they allowed those guards or the guard in the center to push the pile way down the field. And Travis Jones is hanging on for dear life and and did not ever give up, you know, to, to his own credit. But really, that's on the other Ravens defenders for not getting there and sticking their head in. And trying to either you go attack the guard or the center who's pushing the pile, or you you, yeah. you get behind on the other side of that pile yourself. And I thought he played very well. And I'm waiting for the time. I think Travis Jones is a wonderful penetrating pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Matabike so far has been quite frustrating in terms of his play this year. And I think make all the sense in the world. If you're gonna have Pierce on the on the field on third down and you don't have the number of outside linebackers to kick one inside, go ahead and use Jones as a three tech. And yeah. let's see what that guy can do. Monster on lesser man that, that yes. would, uh, you know, get things done. I, I can definitely see that. I can also see them possibly kicking Matabike out to a five and just kind of spelling because he can handle it for, you know, spot duty to get you mm-hmm. a good outside rush. It might help him free his mind up a little bit too and stop picking up these stupid penalties mm-hmm. that he's picked up. Yeah, so he's, he's had, let's see, it's been one defensive hold. In the first week, it was all about his hands being in the wrong place because hands on the mask, players, you can coach, that's like one job to kind of coach them out of that. The defensive holding, that's him trying to get away with something yeah. because because he's using the old Casey Hampton trick to like take two to two offensive linemen out of the play with with uh, with each one with each hand. and But the, the, the roughing the passer penalty, he should just know better. I mean, he really has to know better this week. Uh, it's not like he hasn't had experience with some of it in, in his own past. I also thought the Ravens actually got very lucky that Queen was not flagged for the um, roughly the passer plenty late in the game. Burrow dove and the, re- and the referee was standing right there when he when he did it. He was waving his hands like, oh, no, 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 no. I saw that. <laughs> it was very late, though, that Queen came up. It, he play. shouldn't have been around him. That's for sure. Don't don't put yourself in bad situations like that, kids. Nothing, nothing good happens after midnight out outside. Yeah, nothing, nothing good happens. Now, my mom said nothing good happens after ten o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> so double digits say nothing good gonna happen. <laughs> All righty. Uh, you ready to move on to MVPs? You have anybody Absolutely. else you want to talk about? No, right. I, I'm ready to move on. Just I'll right. follow your road. You're you're number three guy. You're number three guy for the defensive MVP in this game. Number three guy. I will go with a little bit of shocker here, but I would say uh, we didn't talk about him, but Washington. Okay. I think he played a pivotal role 
allowing Hamilton to play a pivotal role in the back. Oh, you're saying Ardarius Washington. Ardarius Washington, yeah. yes. I think he played a very solid nickel. I think he allowed other players to not be out of position. He filled his role well. Yes, he's 5'8 against 6'10". Higgins, yeah. T. Higgins. And, you know, if you have your your regular corners back, that's probably Kyle Hamilton on T. Higgins in that situation. So, other than that, I think he played very well. He's a – you know what you're getting from him. Physical dude who's going to come up and make plays, and he's going to be around the football, and he's going to tackle. That's what he did, and he did it well. Yeah, we've – Loved what he's done these first couple of weeks, in particular in week one. I thought he had a a little bit of difficulty. But, you know, Ronald Darby had the same difficulty with Higgins. Higgins is just a matchup problem for anybody, even a tall corner. He's kind of a a matchup problem for. So, uh, uh, you know, you kind of live with it. He's he's almost, in a lot of ways, Higgins is almost like a tight end in terms of his ability to body because his arms are so long. He has such a big catch radius that he can catch catch the ball and make you look like a seventh grader trying to defend him with your <laughs> length of arm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, just your kid. Okay, I'll move on. My, my number three guy, Patrick Queen. Uh, good game. Patrick Queen had one really bad missed tackle, and I, I, I was kind of hoping you you had noticed it or wanted to talk about it. But Patrick Queen uh, did not extend his arms to tackle. He went full in shoulder on the right sideline on Jamar Chase yep. on one play, and and he whiffed very badly. Uh, this is only really significant miss of the game. He did get, I, I, you know, charged is probably correct, but I wouldn't say it's a really bad play when he's the underneath guy on a zone play that went for 20 yards, which was one of the only decent plays the Bengals had the whole day. But it, it was an 11 plus nine in the middle. It's not the end of the world, certainly, right. that, that that would happen. Um, but otherwise, really good down in, in, in downhill coverage, really good against the run when he had to be. And I thought this was uh, this was one of Patrick Queen's better games. Absolutely, I think he. I remember that tackle, and and he did it. And you shouldn't do this, but he had help, so he was taking the 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 Superman approach to see if he could knock Chase out or get the ball out, knowing that he had help, which is why you play zone because sometimes you can take those chances when you know you have help. You know, as a linebacker, don't you typically want to let the guy behind you have the shot as, with the second man of the ball opportunity, and you make the sure tackle? Or no, I want the glory. You want you want, you want to <laughs> that. If if I'm a, if if I'm if I have responsibility for you as a pass rusher, as a coach, as a whatever it might be, I want you going for the football. I I, I think yeah. the club has been proved to to go for the, to go for the whole thing, and I'll take some missed sacks because of it. But at a linebacker on the outside, I'm not. I'm not willing to. No, no. You better make the tackle. Yeah. But I want the ball too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very good. So, take cake and eat it too. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we do at linebackers. Who's your number two guy? We want it all. That's why we play linebacker. We can play against the run. We can play against the pass. We're the best athletes on the field. He's he's convinced of this. <laughs> so we're we're the best football players on the field. Let's think about it. We got to be good at two different things. If we're not, we're not going to be on the field. A wide receiver can be a great streak runner. He can be on the field for 80 plays. All I do is run streaks. Quarterback can just be a good deep ball thrower. We had one of those for 10 years here. <laughs> 
All right, fair enough. Who's, who's, <laughs> your, who's your number two guy as the defensive MVP? My number two guy is Geno Stone. I think we've praised him a lot on this show. I think he he has stepped up and really, really taken control of his room right now. I think he's the veteran in the room, and I think he's he showed and stepped up against Cincinnati where he's probably had a few nightmares back there, and I think he just he stepped up and played very well. That that room now has got some incredible veteran talent in there. Uh, Deron Harmon now added to the room in the last week, and he is a guy, he is one hell of a football player. I'm actually surprised that he's available at at this point because a lot of teams need free safeties, and free safety um, that skill set is just not as common. And, yeah. and you know it when any team talks about their versatile safeties, they could be up, they could be back. It probably means they're both strong safeties. Yes. That's what, that's what that usually means. Absolutely. 110%. <laughs> and, and the Ravens have now four guys, including Harmon, who are certified free safeties on the team. Yeah. And I think Daryl Worley is a guy who's very interesting, probably could be a free safety uh, at some point. He just doesn't have a lot of experience with it, you know, after all his years at corner. Um, but he's but he's a guy who maybe could as well. But the amount of experience in that room yeah. and the, the guy we we had, I you know, I, my special hope is that Jeremy Lucian develops into a real ball player. Very, very smart guy. Looks like he could really pick up the defense, almost has had no experience with safety. There's not any better place for him to be than sitting on the practice squad for the Baltimore Ravens, getting yeah. to those same meetings with with Williams and Stone. And Hamilton, I mean, Hamilton's picked up things very quickly. And and Deron Harmon all at the same time. Yeah. I, I think, honestly, I think a guy like him being available is because a lot of teams don't value safety play at this moment. I think a lot of guys, like a lot of teams see the value in corners right now. And I think mm-hmm. they're behind the times. I, and I, I agree with you on that, that, that they certainly don't want to pay for safety talent. But the reason why I was surprised is he's a vet men guy. He came, he came to the Ravens for, for nothing. And, and not only that, he came to the Ravens you know, to join their practice squad. And the earliest he's going to be playing is week three, which means the salary is not guaranteed for the year. So yeah. I'm like, how did these other teams miss? I mean, you know, if, if the Ravens hit on this one, if Jerron Harmon gets on the field this year and performs, say, like Geno Stone does, and honestly – Harmon has been every bit as good as as recently as last year mm-hmm. as Stone was last year. I I think you know it, it's going to be one of the really nice bargains. Absolutely, you you always find one or two during the season. There's probably one more gym out there we're going to need. Mm-hmm. Just got to figure out what it is. Okay, Stone was also my number two guy, so we're up to your number one guy. My number one guy on defense, I would say, I think it's hands down is Javavian Clowney. Okay, well, that's mine too. So we've yeah. talked about those guys at length, so I guess we don't need to do any more of it. No. Uh, Denard, can't tell you how much I've appreciated having this conversation with you. Always fun to talk football with you. And I knew that beforehand, but this was a great uh, uh, episode to talk about a lot, and, and, and it, it, even more so probably the first episode, to talk about a lot of your football experience and how that relates directly to some of the schemes that uh, that were important to the Ravens in this one. So thank you for coming on. Tell folks again where they can talk football with you. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at, at the Fire Zone Show. Um, you can also find me on my personal at Denard13. Uh, Denard13. Um, 
on Twitter or X or whatever it is this week or next week, <laughs> or if we got to pay a fee tomorrow, who knows? <laughs> but um, ask me any questions you like. Um, I'll be gladly to respond and, you know, give you a different look at through the eyes of a, of a former college football player and linebacker, but also a former coach who's, who's game plan for enough games to understand, you know, what's it take to go in there and do some different things to make quarterbacks un, unhealthy and unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Really appreciate you, Denard. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs always open on Twitter. You know the drill by now. And you know, I'm looking to meet new people and had some great new introductions to folks this offseason. Want to have more of that. Want to you know develop a, a, a cadre of people that I can have on the show uh, on a regular basis. But anyway, I'll, I'll make sure that I, I take your idea seriously. We talk about it, see if there's a kernel of an episode there, and hopefully we can uh, make a show at some time during the season. Denard, thanks again for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Excellent. Film Study. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.